but that we would apply the truth that we learn by the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, Amen. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. So Jesus has just got done in Luke chapter 11. He's teaching the Lord's Prayer. And right after he gives you the, uh, the format for prayer, then he jumps into, let's talk about how to pray. And so verse 5 says this. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Verse 7. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. And all the parents said, Amen. Once you get that baby to sleep, you do not move. I've got one of those right now. And if you squeak the bed the wrong way, he's trying to wake up. So I I get this. Verse 8. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet... Because of his, and this is New King James, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And I want to go ahead and read verses 9 through 13. It's a different story, but it connects with it. And then verse 9, he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. I want you to catch the positive. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Verse 12. Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Verse 13. Listen to this. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Amen? So we're talking about prayer tonight. We're talking about importunity prevails. The reason I used that word and I said the KJV, verse 8. Verse 8, it said his persistence in the New King James. But actually, let's look at the NIV first. I'm going to give some credit to the NIV. What does he mean by persistence in verse 8? What does he mean by persistence? I think they've got the slide. If not, I can pretty much remember it. You got it, Dwayne? KJV, one more. NIV, is it there? There it is right there. So he says this, I tell you, and I want you to catch this. Instead of persistence, I want you to see how the NIV translated it. And I've given them credit right here. They do this right. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. That's a really good translation of that word. It's one Greek word, but it's, they break it into two, but they're getting it right. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now we can go KJV. And the word here is what? Because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. The word importunity literally means shamelessness. It means you, you have no shame. You're not worried about your reputation. You're not worried about anything. You have a need so great that the only answer you're going to accept is yes. We know people that have been like this. We've dealt with people like this, right? They will wear you down. We've also been this person. If you're in a situation where you need an answer and the only answer you will satisfy or will satisfy you is yes, you'll do whatever it takes. And that is what Jesus is teaching right here. Importunity sometimes is translated or sometimes can mean overly persistent, even to the point of annoyance. Think about that. We're talking about prayer. Jesus is teaching you and me how to pray. And he says you need to pray to the point that you are shameless and you are overly persistent in your asking. And so I want to go through this story. Jesus used stories to teach, and the reason he did that is because they're easier to understand. And I want to ask you to put yourself in this story, and let's look at this a little bit and see. 
and see if we can learn a little bit more about what he's talking about. There's some things in the cultural context that we need to learn that help us to understand the story about a friend showing up and you having no bread. So I want to recreate this story. So imagine that you're at your house. You've just fed your family, and there's nothing left, right? Everybody's hungry, or everybody's been hungry, and now everybody's filled. All the kids are happy, but there's nothing left. So you're going to go to bed because you have a full stomach, and you're going to say, well, that's fine. We'll just wait till in the morning. There's no need for me to have anything right now. So as far as food in your house, you are zero out. And right when you get the kids to bed and everything's going good and you've sat down to relax, there's a knock on your door. You walk to your door, you open it, and here's a friend that left months ago from another village. And he stopped at your house in the middle of the night and he's weary and he's worn out and he's hungry. Most of us would say, what? Come on in. I hope you would say that. But many people, unfortunately, would say, go to the neighbor next door. But the Jewish culture wouldn't let you do that. Hospitality was one of the highest things in the Jewish culture. And it was shameful for you to turn somebody away without meeting their need. And so hospitality within the Jewish culture was very, very important. And I want to say this, hospitality within the kingdom of God is very, very important. Instead of turning somebody away, James says what? If you see somebody and they have a need and you say, go and be filled... God bless you. He says, that's not faith. That's not true faith. Meet their need. But what do you do when you have nothing in the house? That's where this guy finds himself. A visitor has shown up. It is his responsibility, based on his culture, to meet the needs of this person. So what are we going to do? Well, let's just kind of go in the story a little bit and read in between the lines. Imagine he lets the man in. And the next thing that he does, he washes his feet. And then he sets him down at the table puts a plate in front of him, puts the silverware if they used it at that time, gets him a glass of water. Now here's where we get into prayer. Many of us wouldn't even make it to this point. But this guy's saying, you know what? There's no bread in my house. But before the end of the night, there's going to be bread on that table. I'm going to make sure that there is bread in this house to meet this need. So here's the two options we have. You can, as many people will do, you can say, you know what, brother, I don't have any bread, but why don't you join me in prayer right now? We're going to call out to the Lord, and he's going to drop manna from heaven. Sounds wonderful, right? But many times when we do this, what we do, unfortunately, is we think that by the words that we say that God is going to hear because of the amount of words that we say or the type of words that we say. And so we'll start a prayer meeting, and we'll say, oh, Heavenly Father, 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 Holy, Righteous, Sovereign Father, Father. Lord, you rain down manna from heaven. Lord, rain down manna in my kitchen. And you'll begin to work yourself up. And everything I'm saying is good and true. But ultimately, what you're doing is hoping that based on what you say, that if you speak the right words, God would hear you. If you say enough to impress God, he would drop bread down from heaven. You're hoping for a supernatural miracle. And I believe in those things and that we should pray for those things. But ultimately, what we're doing is almost like a reverent unbelief. We don't really know that God's going to answer it, but we think if we work ourselves up enough or if we say the right things, then maybe, just maybe, a loaf of bread is going to fall from the sky. But what happens a lot of times? As you're praying and you're working yourself up, you peek that eye open and there's nothing on the table. So then you go a little bit harder, right? I didn't fast the other day. I should have fasted. Maybe that would have got it. You begin to do all these things and think all these things, and you get into more of a merit-based system, hoping that God will meet this need that you have because you're impressing God. That's not what he's looking for. Should we use the right words? Absolutely. But God is not primarily concerned with you using big theological words. Simple prayer is what Jesus is teaching. 
And unfortunately, when we do these type of prayers, we're really trying to impress man instead of grab a hold of God. What happens is the prayer goes unanswered. And the person that has the need that's counting on you to be the conduit of God's grace sees that God didn't meet the need. And they will leave that place many times unbelieving. When really all God calls you to do is exactly what this brother does right here. Say he washes his feet. He sets him at the table. He sets the plate. And he says, you know what? I have no bread. I have no bread. In that moment, that visitor knows that the person he's counting on has no ability to meet his need. That's humbling yourself before your visitor. But it's faith to say before the end of the night, I'll do whatever it takes to get bread on your plate. It's not going to be by fancy words. Instead, it's going to be through humility that you're going to humble yourself and say, I have no bread to give you, but I know the one who has all the bread. And so he humbles himself. He says, I have no bread. But he remembers the words of Jesus that apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. We've got to remember that in prayer. That's the baseline. Apart from Jesus, you and I can do absolutely nothing. Nothing. And so it has to be for us in prayer, it has to be an utter disregard of your reputation. You cannot be worried about your reputation before men and how you sound. You need to see that there is a need that needs to be met, and there is only one who can meet the need. He's put you in the situation to be the conduit by which his grace gets to that person. He's not looking for your fancy words. He's looking for your heart to cry out to him to say, I need bread. It's a simple prayer. So it's utter disregard for your reputation. That's where we have to get as Christians when we want to do anything, especially in prevailing prayer, but in any facet in the Christian experience and in the Christian life. You and I have to realize it's not us, it's him. Less of me, more of him, right? It's not a self-degradation in the sense that if you beat yourself down enough, God will be impressed, but it's realizing God is almighty. God is all-powerful. God is our provider. It's not me, it is only by him, amen? And so once you get to that point where you say, you know what, I'm not worried about my reputation, but God has placed me in a situation where someone has a need and God wants to work in and through me. God is sovereign. He can do anything that he wants, but because he's sovereign, he's chosen to use us. I don't know why. I wouldn't use me, but he chose it. So we can either partner with him in his work or we can just step back and say somebody else will do it. And so it has to be an utter disregard for your reputation. And then it has to transition to a complete dependence on God with faith that moves him to provide. The only thing that moves the hand of God is faith. It is not your money. It's not your intelligence. It is simple faith. And that's what I love about the gospel. It's not the intelligent people that get in the kingdom. It's not the rich people that get into the kingdom. It is simply those that believe God and trust him by faith. The people that get prayers answered are the same people, the people that have faith and believe. Jojo said it right here. I just happen to believe when I pray. That's all God is looking for. You to acknowledge your lack and his utter ability. And so Jesus said something else too. He said, with man, this is impossible. But finish that sentence. But with God, all things are possible. So now this man has humbled himself. He said, brother, I don't have any bread. I don't have any bread. But I'm going to go to the one who does. And I'm just going to fill in the story a little bit. And I'm going to say that he just happens to choose the local baker. He knows the guy that's got all the bread. So he goes to the house of the baker. And he begins to, to ask, hey, I, I need some bread. I have somebody at my house. And I need some bread. The moment that he did that, 
He's now brought that person into the story because if that person rejects the visitor, then it's shame on his house too. Think about that. You've brought this person into the situation. You have the bread. I have the visitor. Now you're a part of this story. Now I'm depending on you to meet this need of this visitor so that I'm not shamed and you're not shamed. So what do you do at first? You start asking, hey, I need some bread. I need some bread. And he shouts back and says, what? My kids are asleep. Leave me alone. I'm not moving out of this bed. So what would we do? That's the point where a lot of us give up, right? Let's just be honest. We can be transparent. But what does this guy do? No, he keeps on going. And he gets to the point where now he's asking, I need some bread. And then he's like, I know you got bread in there. I can see it. I can see it. It's right there. I see your bread. Okay, now he's moved from asking, now he's to seeking. I, I see it. I see the bread. I see the bread. Just throw it through the window, right? He sees the bread. He won't get up. Now what does he do? The thing that God does not want him to do. He gets to the front door, and what does he do? I need bread. I need bread. I need bread. That brother gets up, and he starts throwing loaves out the window, right? More than he can catch. That is a story of prayer. Now, this is not a perfect story in the sense it's perfect that Jesus told it, but there's some holes in it that we could find. But Jesus is not trying to give us this perfect theological lesson. But he's saying that you and I have to be importunate. I think I'm saying that right. We have to be so persistent in our prayer. We have to go to God and say, I don't care how I sound. God's not looking for fancy words. He's looking for somebody that is willing to be used and to say, Father, I need bread. I need bread. There's a situation in my life. There's a situation in the life of another where they need bread. I don't have the bread to give. You have all the bread, and I'm going to knock on the door until you give me as many loaves as it takes to meet this need. And so that is what we have to do in prayer. One of the greatest weaknesses in our prayer life, and I said our prayer life, is we only pray when there's opportunity. Once we see things starting to shift and it becomes favorable, then we want to jump in and pray. Now I see an opportunity. That's okay. But instead, if we would begin to pray with importunity, then the opportunity would be created. If you would seek God, if you would storm the throne of grace and say, God, I have no bread. I don't have any tools. I don't have any gifts. I don't have any talents. I don't have any abilities. I have nothing, but you have everything that I need. If you start your day right there, then when you walk out the door, there's going to be an immediate need that meets you, and you're not going to have to go into fear. You're not going to have to go into anxiety. You're not going to have to go into doubt because you're going to say, I know the one who has all the bread. I know the one who has all the tools. I know the one who has all the love. I know the one who has all the grace, and I spoke with him this morning. And I stirred myself up, and I laid hold of him. I didn't just petition. I didn't just say, God, if it's your will. And that's a good prayer. But there's times when you know the will of God. Why does he delay? I, I can't give you all the answers. I wish I could. Daniel started praying for 21 days, prayer and fasting. He did not get the answer until day 21. But the prayer was heard and answered on day one. Scripture tells us, though, that the moment that the prayer was answered and an angel was sent to help Daniel, that a demonic angel or demonic being stopped that angel. There was a fight in the heavenlies. Daniel doesn't know that this is going on. 
So what does Daniel do? He just continues to pray. He continues to petition God. He continues to knock upon the door of heaven and say, I need this. Your people need this. God, and to bring God into the situation. We see this in Scripture. A lot of us are afraid to do this. But we see it in Scripture, so I'll stand on it. God, don't let your name be a reproach among the Gentiles. God, don't let your name be blasphemed among the Gentiles. God, don't let your people be trodden underfoot in the Gentiles Say, where is your God? We need to see that in our prayer life. The world looks at the church and says, there's nothing there. There's nobody there. That should stir you to the point where you lay hold of God until he moves and until he answers. And it may be 21 days of you calling out to God. You don't know the things that are going on in the heavenlies. I don't know the things that are going on in the heavenlies. And also, God is working something in you and me through those 21 days. And he may very well be waiting to answer that because he's working in that person's life as well. And a quick answer wouldn't be the best answer. We want what is good many times. God wants what's best. And sometimes there's a distance between those two. So importunity creates opportunity for God to work and for us to grow. And in prevailing prayer, I want to say this. This is a quote from a guy. I got two quotes from this guy. Importunity, prevailing prayer, to triumph in prayer. In order to prevail, sometimes you have to first prevail over yourself. Sometimes the hardest part about prayer is yourself. Whether it's laziness, whether it's sluggishness, whatever it may be, whether it's unbelief, you got to be like David and you got to say to your own soul, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. I will trust Him. And the first thing you got to do to move into being somebody that prevails in prayer many times is prevail over your own self by the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to prevail over situations. You look at that situation, and you see that you can't meet the need, just like this guy. But you say, you know what? I've prevailed over myself. I've built myself up in my most holy faith. Now I'm going to prevail over this situation. God, you move in this situation. God, you show yourself strong and mighty in and through this situation. There is no hope, but with God, all things are possible. You prevail over the situation. You have to prevail over other people. If you've ever prayed for somebody, you know you have to prevail over them many times. Because the answer is flying in like an arrow, and they're doing everything they can to dodge it, dart it, put a shield up, whatever they can do. And instead of giving up, you have to continue to prevail and continue to prevail and say, I'm setting them before the throne of God. God, you know the situation. God, you know the problems. God, you know what they need. I'm going to continue to put them there. They run away from it. I'm going to go back and get them, and I'm going to set them right back there. I'm going to go. This is children, by the way. I'm going to take this child, and I'm going to put them right before the throne of God. Take them here. And you put them there. You have to prevail over yourself, over situations, over people, and you almost always have to prevail over Satan. It's a battle. So many times we say this, and it's right, prayer is a conversation. It is a conversation. Don't hear me saying it's not. But I heard a preacher one time, he said, the life we live right now on this side of eternity is wartime. It's not time to ring the bell and say, butler, I need a hot towel. Right? That's how we pray a lot of times. God, I need this. Give me this. That's fine. God wants to meet your needs according to his riches and glory, right? I know the scriptures. But the season we live in right now, again, I go to Daniel. When you pray, it's wartime. God, the enemy is destroying a family over here. We need you to send in forces right here. 
God, is, it's, he's over here and he's running rampant in the schools. He's running rampant in the families. He's running rampant in the churches. He's here, he's here, he's here. And your prayer is pouring out your soul to God and saying, God, help us. God, we need you to move here. God, we need you to move here. You have to prevail over the enemy almost always when you begin to pray. Happened to us tonight. We could let the sound system ruin the whole prayer movement. But we said, nope, not happening. We're going to take it. JoJo went without a mic. You always have to prevail. Final one, sometimes you have to prevail over God. Now think about that. You have to prevail over God. In one sense, it's impossible. But think about the story of Jacob. I got this in the notes. I'm going to share it. Think about Jacob. Jacob in the moment... I think it's Genesis 32. He sends his family away. He sends his wives and his children away. And he's in this moment where he's waiting to meet his brother Esau, who's not real happy with him from what he knows. If you remember the story, he took his birthright, and he's been gone for years. And he's alone, and God shows up. The angel of the Lord shows up, and he wrestles with the angel of the Lord all night. All night, he's wrestling with the angel of the Lord. That's where the word prevail comes, because it says that he would not let him go. He would not let him go. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That is importunity in prayer. I'm holding on to you, God, until the blessing that you have spoken over my life becomes reality in my life. Not just an idea, but an actual reality in my life. And he held on to that angel until that angel touched his hip. And from that day forward, he walked with a limp. Prayer like this will change you. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to wrestle. You're going to have to struggle. And sometimes God is the one you're wrestling with because he has a blessing attached to the wrestling. But the greatest thing that happened to Jacob was that is the night his name became Israel. He said, no longer are you supplanter. No longer are you deceiver. You are Israel, one who wrestled with God and with men and prevailed. So you have to wrestle and prevail against God many times. And in that wrestling, he is building your faith. He's building your trust. He is building your love for him. He is strengthening you. He is working things for you to have the destiny that he wants. But if you will not wrestle with God, those things won't become reality in your life. It's that simple. God has a plan. God has a purpose. But if we do not, through prayer and faith, lay hold of those things, they will not become a reality in our life. It's that simple. So, all right, pastor, how do we do this? Well, the greatest way, as this author says, the greatest way to learn to pray is by praying. How do I learn to pray? You start to pray. How do you learn to play basketball? You start playing basketball. You can watch all the YouTube videos you want, but until you get a ball in your hand and start shooting, it's not going to happen. The best way to learn to pray is by praying. The greatest way to learn to prevail is by prevailing. That simple. I don't have anything else for you. Pray and pray and pray. Read the scriptures. Trust God. Ask him to teach you. And when you get in those moments where you feel like you have little to no faith, you continue to press in. You continue to ask. You continue to seek. You continue to knock. And that is how you learn how to prevail. Amen? You ask, you seek, you knock. And so in those verses in 9 through 13, we see in that, we see a progression in prayer. And I've kind of already let it out, but I'm going to say it again. You ask. Many times we begin in just the simple asking. Father, I need this. Father, I see this situation. Would you work in this situation? Praise God when the answer comes right then and there. Many times it does. I don't want to discourage you and think that it's always long and hard and hard-fought prayer battles. 
Yes, it is many times, but sometimes it's just a simple asking in faith, and there's the answer. But when that doesn't come, then you move into seeking. And I thought about a cell phone. My wife does this a lot. Of course, she's got a button she can hit now that dings and finds her phone. But used to, it was, have you seen my phone? <laughs> Deacon, have you seen my phone? Isaiah, have you seen my phone? Have you seen my phone? Have you seen my phone? Well, when we all answered no, then she started seeking for the phone. Okay, so she was asking, now she's looking. She's looking here, she's looking there. Eventually, when she can't find it, now she's knocking. She's flipping over sofas, she's looking everywhere she can. She has progressed from, I'm asking, have you seen my phone? I'm seeking, I'm knocking everything over in the house until I find this phone. That is what he's teaching. Many times you get to ask and he answers. If not, then you begin to seek and then maybe God answers. If he doesn't there, guess what? You knock on that door until the answer comes. So do not let... The answer not coming immediately, stop you from praying. Don't let it hinder you. Press forward in prayer. And a term that, and I'm going to say this with respect, the old timers used that I think we need to recover is you pray through. You pray through until you get the answer. You pray until your prayers pierce the throne of heaven and grace comes out. If it's not coming out, the favor of God, the answer from God, if it's not coming out, the only thing that limits your prayer, my prayer, is the will of God. If you're not praying in the will of God, that's not going to be answered. But if you're praying in the will of God, the only answer you're going to get is yes. But what's the time between? That's up to God. So we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and we press through. Okay, I said if time permits, I'm going to go ahead and do it. I already told you about Jacob, so I won't do that. What about, we learn from examples in Scripture. What about Elijah? If you remember Elijah, he said there was going to be a drought, there would be no rain except at his words. So apparently God had revealed to him, there's going to be a drought in the land, there will be no rain until you speak, then there will be rain. He had to live for three and a half years in a drought. And then the moment came where God told him, the word of the Lord went to him, and he said this, before he'd ever prayed, there had been rain in three and a half years. And Elijah goes to Ahab and he says, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Everybody else looked around and went, this guy's crazy. But he knew the promise of God. And three and a half years in the drought had not taken his faith. And he said, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And if you read the story further, it says that he goes up on Mount Carmel. And you get through the prophets of Baal. You get through all of those things. And then he goes up. And it says, and I think this is just a picture of his humility. It says that he gets down on his, on his knees and he places his head between his knees. I won't show you what that looks like, but puts his head between his knees, position of humility, sends his servant and he says, you, you look that way. That's going to be the way the rain comes from. And he begins to pray. And he prays and he tells the servant, he says, go and look. And the servant comes back the first time and says, nothing. He says, all right. He prays some more. He says, go and look. The servant comes back, nothing. He does seven times. This is a prophet of God. Should it take him seven times to get the answer? For whatever reason it did, but did it stop him? Absolutely not. He is a man of fervent prayer. And eventually the servant says, there's a cloud coming out of the sea the size of a man's hand. And that's all it took. He knew right then that he had laid hold of God. God had answered. God had brought the word that he gave him to pass. He leaves from there and it says the sky turned black and rain fell. You have to persist in prayer many times, seven times for Elijah in that situation. The greatest example of all time for importunity in prayer is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. That is the highlight. You don't get any higher than that. 
So think about this with me. Jesus is the Son of God, fully man, fully God, perfect and sinless. But yet in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you read the different accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they will reveal to you that three times he came back to the disciples and said, could you not watch with me? Could you not watch with me? He prayed for possibly three hours, and it says he was in agony. And then it says he prayed more earnestly. If he had to press in and pray through, you and I will have to do the same. And he prays, and he prays, and he prays to the point that it says that his sweat became like blood, and it fell to the ground. Can you imagine the soldiers when they showed up, Shane, to arrest him? And there's not a sword laid around anywhere. Nobody's been in a fight, yet Jesus has blood running down his face because he prayed so hard. He has prayed so hard seeking his Father. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. And he had to prevail in a sense over his humanity, fully human. We forget that a lot of times. He got hungry. He got tired. He knows what is going to happen at the cross. He who knew no sin would become sin. He would have to absorb the full wrath of God, his Father. And he prayed and prayed and prayed. And prayer is a sacrifice. Prayer is a sacrifice. His blood shed in the garden paved the way for his blood to be shed on the cross. If he did not pray through in Gethsemane, there is no Calvary. We talk about Calvary, and yes, we should. That is the height of all things where Jesus' blood was shed. But he had to pray through in Gethsemane in order for us to have Calvary. The sacrifice in Gethsemane secured the sacrifice on Calvary. What's the principle for us? The battles we win in prevailing prayer are what secure the victory in the war. You're going to fight a battle here. You're going to fight a battle here. You're going to fight a battle here. And that's how you win a war. So you're going to have to fight in certain battles that pave the way for the victory in the war that God says is ours as his child. Amen? Last one, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, and we'll end tonight. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Dwayne, I think I gave you these. Yeah. Okay. Another parable that Jesus taught. First verse. I could stop, but I'm going to read it all. But listen to this. He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray, and I want you to read it, and what? Not lose heart. Men always ought to pray, ought to pray and not lose heart. Verse 2, saying, there was a certain city, in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. Verse 4, and he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust said, the unjust judge said, verse 7, shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them, verse 8 Last one, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? There's a connection between prevailing prayer and faith. Those who are strong in faith are those who prevail in prayer. And again, God is not like this unjust judge up there just waiting. He's using a parable to help us understand. We read it in the one before this. He's your heavenly Father. 
He's good. We sang it tonight. He desires to answer your prayers more than you even desire to pray them. But there's a principle taught here that we should pray and not lose heart. I want Jesus to show up and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You had faith. You prayed. You believed. You trusted in me. Even when you couldn't see it, even when you didn't understand, you laid hold of my word. You stirred yourself up and you took hold of me. And because of that, I see that you have faith. And because of that, God will answer. Amen? Anybody have anything they want to say before I let you out? Anybody want to add to this? Some of you are looking at me, and you could be teaching this lesson far better than I could because this is a reality in your life. That's what I want this lesson to be for you. If you leave here and say, wow, that was exciting, or this or that, it's got to be a reality. Yes, sir? Yeah, pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thought, yeah. Yeah. There you go. In the seat, yeah. Mm-hmm. The knocking, yeah. That's it, and we've talked about this. We believe in the revealed will of God, right? You see it in Scripture, but also in certain situations where you can, you can be asking and asking, then you begin to seek, and God will reveal Whatever it is, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, that he'll reveal the situation. Walt? I think that, that, that's where I was going to go with this. When, when you're praying, sometimes you have in your mind what you want to happen. Yep. But if you pray asking and seeking his wisdom, mm-hmm. he redirects you to all of a sudden the Lord says, this guy needs to test. He needs to go take a sleep test. Yeah. That's it. And you, have to, and you have to be willing to accept that and do what, what, what God has called you to do. Absolutely, because a lot of times what we do is when we don't get the answer in asking, we, we just stop. But it's no, now move into the seeking, and then maybe God will answer there. And if he doesn't answer in the seeking, well, guess what? Then we begin to knock. Anybody else? I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet tonight. I'm going to close in prayer, and I've said this. I'll say it again. This has to be a reality in your life. 
My prayer privately before the Lord was, God, let this burn in me so that it'll burn in the people. Okay, because as I study this and as I read this in Scripture, it's stirring my faith to say, you know what, you can always grow in prayer. You can always grow in prayer. And so God's convicting me, and I thank God for his conviction because it leads to grace and it leads to growing in your faith and it leads to a deeper relationship with Jesus. And so I'm going to pray, but I'm going to tell you, pray that God would make this burn in you. That God would make us a church that says, you know what, we're going to pray until the answer comes. We're going to prevail in prayer to see the power of God move. We're not just going to shout, we're not just going to sing, we're not just going to dance, we're not just going to hope, but we're going to believe and we're going to put in the work that it requires in prayer to see God move in power. Amen? So, Father, I pray right now. I just lift up holy hands in the sanctuary, God, and I say thank you for the Scriptures. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the revealed will of God that you want a people that will pray and that will lay hold of you, God, that will ask our Heavenly Father, that will seek the answer from our Heavenly Father, that will knock until the door is opened, God, so that your power and your love and your presence can be made manifest across this community, God. I pray, shake us and stir us up, God. Let it burn within our hearts to be a people of prayer. God, so that it will go to our families. Lord, let our children see their parents not just praying over a meal, but shutting the door and praying out loud in their rooms, crying out to God. Let the children hear that, God, because it'll mark them, Lord. Let couples come together and say, you know what? I've been praying for you, but we're going to pray together. We're going to prevail in this situation. Right now, we're having some struggles, but we're going to promise. We're going to lay hold of the promises of God, and we're going to see the power of God move. I pray, Lord, stir us up. Lord, there are people under the sound of my voice that God is calling you to a ministry of prevailing prayer. Maybe you did it in one season, but you've, you've let it go. But you still have that mantle. You still have that anointing. And God is saying right now, fan it into flame. Fan it into flame, God. Fan it into flame. As long as there's breath in our lungs, we can fight the good fight of faith. And so I pray, God, let it burn within us so that it'll burn within others. And let your name be hallowed. That's what we want above all things for your name to be hallowed. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you so much for being with us tonight.